Well, believe it or not, this is the 29th installment on First Peter. Some of you are saying, yes, you believe it. Uh, I, when we began this, I never thought that it would take us 29 lessons to get through it. Actually, it's going to take us 30. I'll just mention this. We're, we're going to wrap up First Peter this morning. Uh, but next Sunday, we're going to kind of have a review and uh, look over what we found in First Peter. Next Sunday is also our Family Life Group Sunday. So I encourage you to read First Peter through next week. And uh, we'll review that on Sunday morning and then have opportunity to discuss Sunday evening. But as we've looked at these 29 weeks, as we've looked at this, we've looked at the book of 1 Peter as, as Peter's traveler's guide to strangers or foreigners in this world. And we saw throughout 1 Peter the number of times that, that he mentioned that we are strangers here, that our citizenship is somewhere else, it's in heaven uh, specifically Paul would write about, that we're foreigners, that we're, we're travelers, we're strangers We also looked at the fact that his readers were now undergoing a measure of persecution, a measure of hardship because of their Christianity. And what Peter comes along, he does not say, as we might hope that he would say, ah, don't worry, it's almost over. In fact, what he says is, it's going to get worse before it gets better. He does not tell them that God is going to take away all their hardships, all their trials, and all those, all their sorrows. He, in fact, tells them that things are going to get worse. And we know from history that just around the corner is going to come an immense, vicious, physical persecution in which Christians would be crucified and fed to the lions and jailed and all these other different things torn apart. I mean, it was going to be intense. And so Peter was trying to help the Christians through what they saw probably as a great persecution right now, help them through that, but also prepare them for what was to come. He concludes his letter on a positive note of encouragement, reminding them and us that God is in control, that he knows what he's doing, and that he has given us the resources to overcome whatever we face in this life. So 2 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, he writes, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We will all face hardships and struggles In our lives. If you are here this morning and you are thinking to yourself, well, I've never faced any hardships in my life. I've never faced any struggles in my life. Then you're either not breathing or you're lying. Am I right? We might even look at some of us would look at even the young people over here. 
And we would say, oh, they haven't faced anything in their lives. Do you remember junior high? Do you remember high school? Yes, they have faced struggles. Yes, they have faced trials. Yes, they have faced hardships. And do they have more to come? Sorry. We do. That is one of the things that is, is I think, most revealing about the scriptures. Revealing about Jesus' ministry and what he taught. And the apostles and what they taught. Nowhere and at no time did Jesus ever promise that we would not have struggles and hardship. Nowhere and at no time did Paul or Peter or John or the other apostles, the other writers of the New Testament ever promise us that we would not suffer. That we would not have sorrow and pain in this life. In fact, quite the contrary. Jesus, just like Peter here, tried to prepare his disciples for what was to come. Don't be shocked, Jesus said, that the world hates you because it hated me first. There will come difficult times. But as the song we just sung says, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. My peace I give to you. Bryson had had Take time to be holy and when peace, it is well with my soul. He had in reverse when he sent me his songs and, and I asked him, I said, do you mind if we swap those? Sing, take time to be holy before the prayer and then sing it as well with my soul before the sermon. And uh, he said, no, that'd be fine. And so he asked me when he got here, he said, does it real? is it because that song actually fits your sermon? And I said, no, I just like to sing that one before I preach. And I like to sing it when we stand. But then as we were singing it, it dawned on me. It does fit well with the lesson this morning. Because even though we face hardships, it is well with our soul. Sometimes we face hardships because of poor choices we make. We may call them choices. We may call them sin. Sometimes it may just be a poor choice. Sometimes it may be sin. But we face hardships in our lives because of mistakes, choices, sins that we have made in our own lives. And we suffer the consequences. But sometimes we face hardships in our lives because of poor choices. Because of the poor decisions Because of the sin in other people's lives. Especially those of you who are parents and grandparents. I've seen many of you struggle and suffer. Because of the decisions that your children have made. I've seen children suffer hardships and struggles. Because of the decisions that their parents have made. And sometimes we suffer because of the decisions, the poor decisions that other people make. Sometimes we suffer hardships here 
simply because we are part of the human experience. We ask that question, that age-old question, why do bad things happen? Sometimes bad things happen because this is an imperfect world. This world is flawed. What we see in our world is an indirect, perhaps, or maybe direct consequence of sin in the world. We just, it's part of the human experience. Jesus said, you remember, the rain falls both on the just and the unjust. Now, what he did not go on to say, but he easily could have, is that the drought comes to both the just and the unjust. God did not promise us that when lightning and tornado and hurricanes come, that some force field would be put over us. That there's some way all these bad things would be coming towards us and then just part ways and go around us as Christians. But we will face those trials. We will face those struggles. But no matter what the reason, oh, sorry, and I forgot the most important. Sometimes we will face hardships directly related to our faith in God because we are Christians. We have felt that in our lives from time to time. I'm sure you have. We have seen the, the intensity raised within our culture and within our society. But we still do not face that persecution like many of our brothers and sisters do in other parts of the world. Now, like Peter, and I told you this when we talked about it, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready if it comes. I pray that it won't, but it might. We ought not be shocked and surprised. And we need to be prepared. But no matter what the reason is, how we make it through these difficult times is what matters. Remember, James says, count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of temptations and trials. No matter what the reasoning is. When we are in the middle of our trial, do we really care what the reason is? It doesn't matter. Blame doesn't do any good, does it? When we're in the middle of our trials and our sorrows. We just want to know how we're going to make it through. And it doesn't matter. The reason how we make it through is the same. And Peter is helping his readers make it through. And he is helping us make it through ourselves. The first thing, actually it's not the first thing, it's the last thing. I'm doing this a little bit out of order. But the first point that I'm making... The last point, perhaps, that Peter is making is that God is God. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God is God. One of the most important things to remember when we are facing our storms in life, when we are facing our challenges, when we, when we are facing our sorrows and tribulations and trials, is that God is ultimately in control. I think that one of those things, when, when G, oh, excuse me, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, 
God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can endure. And I know I've said this several times recently, but it's one of those things that just kind of clicked with me. We have always used that verse narrowly, I think, to talk about temptation of sin. God will not allow us to be tempted to sin beyond that which we can handle. I think there is a broader application of that. God will not allow us to be tested. God will not allow us to face trials. God will not allow us to face tribulation. God will not give us more sorrow. God will not give us more more tragedy in our lives than what we can handle. He is in control, even when we may not see it. Joseph may not have understood it when he was sold by his brothers into slavery or when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison or when he was forgotten by his friend whose dream he had interpreted. But I think he may not have understood it But I think he knew it because even in the midst of all that tribulation, in the midst of all those trials, in the midst of being separated totally from his family, separated from every single person who believed in God by himself in a heathen country, he kept his faith. And then in the end, he saw it. When the brothers were afraid he was going to bring retribution on them, he said, what you did to harm me, what you thought was to harm me, God used to save us. God used it for his good to save our people, my family. You get the sense that he believed it and that he held on to his faith. Our Netsis camp this year is entitled Yahweh, Who is God? Wow. You think maybe we can cover that in a week? (laughs) I don't think so, but we're going to give it a shot. God is the creator of the universe. Who didn't just take what was already there and mash it together. But formed from nothing. Created from nothing. The universe. He is the almighty God. The great I am. His wisdom and knowledge and power are greater than ours by far. He has a plan. He has, when we talked about the story, you know, he has this this overriding plan to redeem mankind to himself. And within that, he had a plan to use Israel and to use Abraham and, and, you know, bring that plan into existence. And he has a plan for our lives, for you, for me. God has a plan. He has an overriding plan to redeem us individually to him through our faith and our belief in his grace. But he also has a plan to use us. For his purpose. Even 
He says that he can and will bring good from everything that happens in our lives. We love that verse, don't we? Romans 8 and verse 28. God can produce good from all things that happens in our lives. Even when those things that happen are not good. Paul didn't say God's only going to bring good things in your life. It's all going to be peaches and cream. It's all going to be roses. It's just going to be, whoo, life is just going to be wonderful and great. And it's going to be all smiles all the time. That's not what he said. God can work good. God will work good. From even the bad things that happen in our lives. We may not see it right then. But God has a plan. He is in control. Even when it seems that he is not present. How many times did the psalmist cry out, where are you? Why have you turned your face from me? Are you listening? Don't you see what is going on? What is happening here? Gideon asked the question, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Mary and Martha both said to Jesus, I think accusatorily, ooh, would that be a word? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. I don't think they were simply making a statement. I think they were saying, why weren't you here? Where have you been? What took you so long? And yet, in all of those circumstances, whether it be Gideon or the psalmist or Mary and Martha, they held on to their faith. They held on to their faith and belief in who God was. But God was with Israel. And Jesus did care about the sisters. And he is with us. He is with you. Do we really, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but do we really appreciate and understand that the almighty God cares about us? That the creator of the universe listens to us when we pray. That he works in our lives, not always as we want, but as he knows is best for our lives. I was watching something the other day. It was a a biography, I guess, a little short thing on Arnold Palmer. Now, most of you know who Arnold Palmer is. One of the best golfers ever. And uh, just passed away a little over a year ago, I believe it was. But one of the unique things about Arnold Palmer is that he always took time to care. Every single person who ever wrote him got a letter in return. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine the thousands and thousands of letters that somebody like Arnold Palmer would get in a lifetime? But he took the time. Even when he was competing, even when he was busy with his, with his schedule. Can you imagine being a little 10, 12-year-old boy, kid, girl, maybe even perhaps, and you write a letter to Arnold Palmer and you get a letter in return? I remember when I was in the third grade. 
I decided I was going to invite the president for supper. I don't know what possessed me to do that. But I wrote a letter to the White House inviting the president to come for supper. You know what I got? I got a form letter back thanking me for, you know, correspondence. And I did get a little book that was a history and had a, had a one-page little history and a picture of all the presidents. Pretty cool. But even in the third grade, I could see through it. Even in the third grade, I realized the president didn't write that letter. The president didn't even sign that letter. This was almost before Xerox machines, right? You know, but I could tell that was not. But the almighty God cares about us. And that leads us to the second point is that we have God's grace. Not only is God with us, but he supplies us with the resources we need to get through and overcome the trials of life. He says in that first verse, he is the God of all grace. And I believe that the grace here is not limited to saving grace. This is the grace that is the essence of God's power in our lives. We've talked about this before, that there's, there's a couple different ways that grace is used in the New Testament. There is that saving grace, for we are all saved by grace through faith. It is God's grace that saves us. But there is another sense in which grace is used and that grace has to do with God's essence within us, God's power within us, God's resources that he gives us to make it through the difficult times in our lives. It's the grace that God used when Paul says, I prayed three times. I prayed three times that this thorn in my flesh would be taken away. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Now there's one way to interpret that. One way to interpret that would be for God to say, Paul, I saved you. What more do you want? Shut up. My grace is sufficient for you. Aren't you happy that I saved you? Isn't that enough? So just deal with the thorn in your flesh. Does that ring true to you? That's not what God is saying. He's not saying I've saved you and I'm not going to do anything more. When grace is used there, my grace is sufficient for you. He's talking about God. He's talk, God is talking about his power, his presence, the resources that he has given Paul. All the things that I've given you will help you through this difficult time. And when Peter says here, God is the God of all grace. Yes, he is the God of saving grace. But he is also the God of helping grace. He is also the God of see it through grace. He gives us the resources that we need. It goes hand in hand with God's love and our hope. A deeper relationship with him through study and prayer helps us to better understand him and his ways and helps us get through difficult times. A stronger relationship with each other 
gives us the grace and the strength to overcome. And these first two points, I think, go back to our study on doubt. That when we're in the middle of our doubts, when we're in the middle of our struggles, you remember? You remember? We have to hold on to two things. God is and God loves me. When we're in the midst of our trials, when we're in the midst of our our persecutions, when we're in the midst of our sorrow, when we're in the midst of our tragedy, we remember that God is and God loves me and I can make it through. Thirdly, he reminds us that we are called to eternal glory. Earlier, Peter said that we had received a new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. We press on through the trials of this life because we know what awaits us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For our light, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we will fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And again, he says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be received or revealed in us. Paul says, look, I know you're struggling. I know you're going to struggle. I know there's going to be hardships. I know there are going to be painful times in your lives. Some of it brought on simply because you have faith in God. That doesn't seem fair, does it? If I have hardships because I I make a, a dumb choice or I sin, okay. But the fact that I'm struggling and I have hardships because of my faith in God doesn't seem right. But Paul says it doesn't matter the why. Whatever we're facing is nothing. Nothing compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. The hope of heaven and the glory to be received gives us the strength to carry on. My in-laws had hope of a better place for their family. They had hope of a place that was free. They had hope of a place where they just had the essentials. But in order to achieve that, they went through hardships. My father-in-law lost his job. He was sent across the country to the other side to work in the sugarcane fields away from his family. Even as his youngest child was born. Although he went AWOL to come home. Everything they owned was stripped from them. And yet they endured that hardship. My mother-in-law left to raise three kids essentially on her own. 
They endured that hardship. Why? Because of the hope of a better life. And as great as America is compared to communist Cuba, it's nothing compared to the glory of heaven compared to here. I know you're tired of me talking about this, especially if you come to funerals that I do. But those descriptions of heaven in Revelation, the street of gold, the gates of pearl, that's neat. That's cool. But a place where there will be no more sorrow and no more sadness and no more tears and no more dying. We can make it. Through whatever we're going through here, we can make it. We can make it because we have that hope. We have that, that vision of what God has promised to give to us. It may be difficult to be comforted by this thought in the midst of our pain and suffering and sorrow. But it is that hope that keeps us going. And fourthly, he says, God will make us strong, firm, and steadfast. How many times in both the Old and the New Testament does God say to people, does God say to us, be strong, be firm, be steadfast. But here Peter reminds us that it is God who makes us strong and makes us firm and makes us steadfast. If I have to face these struggles and these trials alone in my life, I'm going to shrivel up. But it is God's strength that makes me firm and steadfast and immovable. It is a result of the testing of our faith, the trials we go through, as James reminds us. We may not feel strong. We may not feel Firm. We may not feel steadfast, but through God's power, we are. We may be beaten by the winds. We may be beaten by the rain. We may be beaten by the waves, but we are still standing. We may be threatened and tempted, but we stand firm. We may suffer seemingly endless hardships. But we remain steadfast and immovable. We will not give up. We will not quit. We will not lie down. As Peter mentioned earlier, we are stones in a spiritual house. A house that can never be shaken or destroyed. And so, yes, trials will come. We will face hardships in our lives. And at times those trials and hardships will seem almost unbearable. How much more can I take, God? How much more are you going to put on me? But he's promised us he won't put too much. And he has promised to give us the resources to see them through. 
He has promised us that if we will remember that God is God, all powerful, and that God's grace has been given to us, that we've been called to an eternal glory, far, far. It, Paul said it can't even be compared. The glory we await to the things that are happening right now. And we remember that it is God who gives us strength. It's God who makes us firm. It's God who makes us steadfast. If you're here this morning, perhaps you're struggling and you need to feel the strength of God. And we can help you as a church family. If there's any other need you have, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.